Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. Well, this morning, uh, I need to start with some good news and bad news. Start with the bad news. This week at the Marshall House, there was a tragic laundry accident, and every dress shirt, tie, and sport coat that I own was destroyed. But the good news is I came up with this really cool Emmanuel Baptist Church polo shirt. Okay, so there wasn't any laundry accident. Uh, but I kind of made the observation last week that uh, just want you to understand, I don't know what your new pastor may someday look like or how he will dress. The Word of God is not really dependent on the dress of the messenger. Now, obviously, there's a point of being respectable and decent, and obviously, the dress of a messenger shouldn't get in the way of the message, but I just thought, you know, some of you actually said the sermon last Sunday was okay. Uh, today is still up for vote. You can decide on that later. But uh, for the most part, the dress is not a big deal. And so we'll see how this is. And probably next week, I'll just get back to where I'm more comfortable. Probably is the way we'll do that. But today, I want us to kind of lean a little bit longer and farther into the book of Philippians. And uh, just as a quick word, tonight at 6 o'clock, we've had a couple of weeks on the Bible, uh, the nature of Scripture, maybe some things. Tonight, we're going to talk uh, one more installment on that, talking a little bit about uh, uh, some words like inerrant, what does that mean, inspired, talk about the nature of interpretation, maybe a little bit about why churches don't all agree on everything when they all pretty much got the same Bible. And uh, so we'll talk about some of that tonight. But as you're beginning and you're finding the book of Philippians, I, um, today I want us to maybe try and imagine. I, I'm not all that great at painting, but maybe if I can get you to imagine in your mind, we know that the church in Philippi has existed. Paul was there. It got started. And evidently when Paul left, it was still growing and things were happening. And at some point, the church took up an offering. And they put it in the hands of a young man by the name of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus traveled from Philippi over 600 miles to Rome. And he takes the offering to Paul. Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. He's waiting trial. Uh, Epaphroditus, by the way, gets sick, almost dies. Some of that's later on in the book of Philippians. And then he returns and as he's coming back to Philippi, he's carrying this letter that we call Philippians. And you can imagine, if you would, and that's kind of what I want you to think about, he gets back to Philippi and the word spreads around town. Epaphroditus is back. I mean, he's been gone for months, maybe years. We really don't know how long he's been gone, but he gets back and, and the word spreads in the marketplace. And one believer tells another believer, Epaphroditus is back and he's back and, and we're going to meet at a certain place at a certain time and he's going to tell what happened. And he's got a letter from Paul. And so at some point, we have no idea where the church was meeting. It's exploded. 
from the very first few verses of this letter, there are multiple overseers, more than one. There are multiple deacons. I mean, when Paul began, there was Lydia and the Philippian jailer and just a few folks, but now this church has grown, and maybe they're meeting in Lydia's house. She was wealthy, a seller of purple, so she may have had a huge home. Philippi was a Roman colony, so there may have been large meeting houses. There may have been large places, but somewhere the church gathers, and Epaphroditus comes, and at some point he gives his testimony. He tells what happened, and maybe he tells about growing ill and how God healed him, and, and he tells the story of what's going on in Rome, and then at some point in that meeting with the church all sitting in the room, a scroll is brought out. Probably parchment, animal skin. We talked about that. And the scroll was opened and someone in front of all of the church begins to read this letter from Paul and the entire church is sitting together listening to what Paul has to say. Now obviously they're listening on two levels. They're the church. And it's addressed to the church. And so some of the message that's from this letter is for a church. And so you're listening to it corporately. It's not just me. It's, it's me and everybody else in the room. But at the same time, I want you to think about that crowd. And in that crowd, there are individuals. Lydia, probably sitting there in the room. And Paul starts reading the letter and they, they start reading it. And she's remembering when she met Paul on that, that riverside and when she came to know Christ. Philippian jailer, maybe he's in the room, and he's listening to these words, and maybe all of his family, and he's looking around, and he's seeing his family, and he's just thinking, man, we're all here because Paul on that night. Maybe the, the slave girl who had the demon cast out of her, maybe she might even be in the room, and I guarantee you she's remembering different kinds of things. So, so here's what I want to do. I want us to start through the book this morning, and I want to look at just a couple of phrases in these first few verses, but... But I want you to try, and, and we'll do our best to listen at one level as a church, but then I also want you to be listening on a personal level. So picture in your mind that group of believers in the city of Philippi, Epaphroditus has come, and it's now time where the scroll has been opened, and they're sitting listening. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. This church has is, is just exploded. More and more people have come. They've, they've got new pastors and deacons they've organized. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From this first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, there are a couple of phrases there that I want to think about today. The first phrase is partnership in the gospel. Obviously, for them in that moment, 
their partnership is that they, as a church, took up an offering. They sacrificed. And in that moment, everybody in the church is thinking, yeah, I contributed. I, I gave this amount. And maybe Lydia's amount was bigger than the slave girls or the jailers. Or, but, but they all gave, and they all put that, and they all remembered it. And Paul is now saying thank you, but he is saying because of your financial contribution, you are partners in everything that I do. I'm sure that many of them had been praying for Paul and praying for his ministry and praying for his work. Let me just say to you, on a church level, a good church always thinks beyond its walls. Now, they may not have had a building like this. I'm pretty sure they didn't. But we don't know where they were meeting. But, but a good church always has a sense of something of value in the gospel that is beyond their own community, beyond their own walls. There's just something significant. And no church, I'm convinced, can even be healthy. I don't think you can even come close to being a good church if there's not this idea of something for the gospel that is beyond what you're doing in your own community. That's just nature. That, that's the way it is in the body of Christ. And, and I have made the statement that I believe this is, and you have the right to consider yourself a good church based on New Testament standards. And part of it is because you guys do a pretty good job on this partnership in the gospel thing. I mean, I kind of gave you a little hard time last week about the cooperative program, and Effingham still was just a little bit horror. Somebody said they were going to write a check for $600 so you could beat them. I'd be all right by me. I think that'd be great. But the bottom line is you do well, and there's something very positive. And in fact, of all of the dollars that are put in the offering box, of all of the dollars that are given, I would just tell you, I think there's something special about those dollars that leave Benton, that leave this church, that leave the expenses here and go someplace and are partners with the gospel. I mean, I just think that's positive. That's good. That's the nature of a healthy church. That's one of the good things about that church, and hopefully will always be a good thing about this church. I, I like your Acts 1-8 partners idea. I mean, just the idea that every year we pick out some groups that are doing things that affect the gospel that are not stuff we're doing, but we're going to support, we're going to pray, we're going to give, we're going to be a part, and we're going to join those things. I've heard rumors about some big offering that you do in December called the Great Commission Offering. I'm kind of excited to see how that plays out, what that's going to be like. But I've heard that you guys do a phenomenal amount and give very generously, but the idea is that every one of those dollars do not stay here. They go someplace else. I always tell you, God honors that kind of stuff. And by the way, when the search committee is talking to prospective pastors, there's a lot of questions they need to ask, but, you know, do they wear polo shirts or dress shirts or, you know, do they own ties? Have there been any laundry accidents? I mean, I understand you're going to ask those questions, but, but one of the questions they need to ask is, in the church that you're in right now, how do you give to missions? Do you support missions? Does your church support mission trips? And by the way, you know, Epaphroditus went on a mission trip. That's kind of an interesting thing. He was there, and I'm even wondering, there in the church, somebody's even saying, man, I I wonder if they need somebody to go next month or somebody to go later on and go see Paul and maybe take another offering that we're going to do it. I, I just think this idea of the partnership in the gospel is an important thing, and churches as a whole. The church in Philippi sitting there listening, and they hear Paul say, you have been partners with what I've been doing. You are partners in the gospel, and you feel good about that because it's a good thing. 
but also on a personal level. Even at this moment, some of you may need to be thinking, okay, let's see, it's not that far till, till December. I wonder what my family's going to be giving to the Great Commission offering. Or maybe another mission trip's going to come up at some point, and, and I, I may not physically be able to go on a mission trip, but maybe I could help support somebody else go, or, or maybe I could start praying for somebody else, or maybe I could somehow involve myself as a partner in the gospel in some way, and yes, maybe I could go on a mission trip. Maybe I could make myself available. And as individuals, there's something valuable about saying, not just as a part of a church, that is a partner in the gospel, I could personally be involved in that. Well, so that's a phrase that I thought we really need to think about just a little bit, and it's obviously pretty critical. And, and by the way, there is an interesting verse a little bit later on when Paul talks about Epaphroditus, and he says, Epaphroditus represented you here in Rome in my work. So the truth is, anytime we support send or support individuals who are going, we are partners with them. Now, the second phrase is a good work in you. I need to talk just a little bit about the nature of good works. Um, Book of Ephesians really kind of puts a, a point on it. Um, I had a, about a 60-foot tree fall down in my yard this week, and uh, so I got some help. And I have a neighbor who comes over who's not a Christian and kind of still doesn't understand it. And we've had conversations, but he has this really strange idea that doing good deeds will get him to heaven. And to be honest, he even makes the sense that if you do good deeds for a pastor, that'll probably help even more. Uh, I want to encourage that, but that's not theologically sound. But, uh, but he did help me work on my tree. So that was, that was a good deal. But Good works do not get us into heaven. Good works do not earn us a place in the kingdom of God. The book of Ephesians makes that very clear that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then it does go on in that same chapter, three verses later, to say that once we are saved, once we are created in Christ Jesus, we are supposed to do good works. That it it's, it's this thing, I don't do good deeds or good works to be saved, I do it because I'm saved. That's a, a critical point. But here there's this idea that he says, um, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, for some of them listening in Philippi, some of them remember when that church started. I mean, there's some of them there who remember the Apostle Paul. Some of them who came to Christ because of Paul. They have a personal memory of the beginning of God's work in the city of Philippi. Now, some of them came to Christ later on. But there are some of them who really remember that. And they remember God's hand. I, I just trying to think about them. When they hear this, they're immediately thinking about all the things that God has done in their community. This church... 56 years old, 67, is that when it was started? Something like that. I understand there are, I've, I've met a couple of folks who actually say they are charter members of this church. You realize that means you're old. I'm, I'm just sorry if you are, uh, and you've been around for a long time, but there are some of you actually who do remember when this church got started, and, 
And over the years, you actually could give testimonies about the hand of God being at work in the life of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I mean, I don't know how many were the first Sunday or where you met or what it was like or what you did or how it looked, and, but some of you actually have that memory and you could give testimony to the hand of God in this church in the past. And you could even now, some of you can remember when you joined Emmanuel. I've heard some of the testimonies. We started coming because somebody invited me. But you come to be a part of this church and you are listening to this letter and you can think about the hand of God, the good work that God has done in your church. You can also probably remember some times that maybe God wasn't his work at much. But this also is almost a word of confidence that Paul says, if God began the work, if God was there in the beginning and God's hand has been evident in the past, then there is the confidence that if we trust Him, God will be present in the future. And in this moment when you don't know who the next pastor is going to be and you don't know what the future is going to like and, and you can remember the past and you can remember the good things that have happened during Sammy's ministry and during Roger Ellsworth's ministry and you go back and all, you can see the hand of God in every one of those moments. But this verse is a promise that says, if God started it and God is allowed to do the good work, then it will continue. And that's a point of confidence. And by the way, this particular verse says that if it is a good work, it's only good because God did it. Amen. In fact, a really theological good work is always a God work. And if God works through you and through me and through this church and He will be here, there's that promise that He'll continue to do it. So as a church, there's kind of an encouragement that says, whatever the future of our church is, it really does not depend on who the new pastor is. It really doesn't depend on who these deacons are. It doesn't really depend on the committee and the other leaders. What it really depends, if the future of this church or any church is good, it depends on God being at work and being allowed to have His way. Now, let's back down to a more personal point. He says these words and everybody's listening. God who began a good work in you. And Lydia's saying, I remember when God began his work in me. I remember that prayer meeting. I, I remember. I guarantee you the Philippian jailer was remembering when God began his good work in him. He'll never forget that moment of going in. Lord, what must I do to be saved? And before the night is over, he and all of his family know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The woman who had the demon cast out of her, freed from the evil that had controlled her life. There's this reality that they were sitting there and every one of them was remembering on a personal level when they heard the gospel, when they came to know Jesus Christ, and when it started, and when God began His work in them. And then there's this promise that says, God's going to keep it going. But in the midst of that, there's also this interesting point that in this passage, we get to one of those unique theological realities that this sort of talks about salvation as a past event, as a present activity, and something that has a future completion. And you do understand that in the Bible, it does talk about salvation, and, and it talks about having been saved, past tense, being saved, present tense, 
future will be saved. And, and the Bible talks about that. So we need to maybe talk about that. And there's some basic words you probably have heard, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Well, here's what it really means. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, at some point in your life, you can go back to a time when you were under conviction of the Holy Spirit, God began to work in your life, He convicted you of your sins, He convinced you that what people said about Jesus was true, and that if you trusted Him, you wouldn't go to hell, you could go to heaven. I mean, He was at work, and there was a moment in which you were saved by Jesus Christ, when salvation became real, by faith in Him, by His grace, your life was transformed you can say, I was saved in that moment. Now, several things happen when that happens. Number one, your sins are forgiven. Sins of the past, sins of the present. By the way, sins that you're going to do, sins that are a part of any part of your life, sins are immediately forgiven by the blood of Jesus at the moment of salvation. A second thing that happens is the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. The Holy Spirit comes to be a part of your life. You and I are indwelled by the Holy Spirit when we believe. It's what Ephesians 1 says. A third thing that happens is that there is a transformation of yourself. Your, your sinful nature is given a different nature. You are made alive spiritually. And the, the most significant thing is that you then become into a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship that exists in this world and continues on for the rest of your life. And a final thing, evidently, there is a book somewhere in heaven, the Lamb's Book of Life, and in that very moment, your name is written down. But you understand, this verse suggests that good work is the beginning. You are saved. By the way, if you die at that moment, you go to heaven, no question. But that's when it begins. But the Bible then says that we are being saved. That was justification. And once you are a believer, there is a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. God worked in that moment, and then God is still at work. And if you're a believer and you can go back to that time and it was, I don't know, 50 years ago or 75 years ago or whatever it may be, God has continued to work in your life. Every time you come to worship, every time you sit in a Bible study, every time you pray, every time you open the Scriptures, God still is at work in your life and He has a plan and a purpose. He wants you to partner in the gospel. He wants you to share your faith. He wants you to grow and mature, become more and more like Jesus. There's this sanctification. The word saint is used here. And saint, by the way, doesn't mean you're perfect. The word saint means you are becoming different. You are different than the rest of the world. You are set apart, and there's something about being set apart, and every day He works in us to make us more like Jesus. And then someday, when our physical bodies can no longer control life, Someday when, when death comes, and by the way, I don't know exactly what death is. There's a, the, you stop breathing, your heart stops, there's something about cord activity in your brain. There, there's a lot of medical definitions. I have no idea what it is, but at some moment, when you and I no longer can live in this world, when death comes or 
Christ returns and we are raptured, whatever it may be, there will be a moment in the twinkling of an eye that our salvation, which began back here with God's work, which has continued throughout our lives in God's work, that God will do His final work of completion and we will stand before God and be received into His presence and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and then our salvation will be complete. And they were hearing these words. They were hearing them for the first time. There wasn't a whole lot of doctrine, wasn't a whole lot of theology in that moment, but they are hearing and and they're listening. And so, yeah, they're thinking about the church, thinking about, well, God's done a good thing in our church. I pray to God he keeps working in our church. But they're also saying, God, I remember when you did that in my life, when you started working, when I first met you. And God, I'm aware of your hand even today. And Lord, I'm trusting for that ultimate work of my salvation becoming complete when I enter the presence of God. I do a lot of funerals. Did one Friday, Saturday last week, got one next Saturday. I I just do a lot of funerals, but I will just tell you, when you do the funeral of somebody who knows Jesus Christ, what it means is that God, who began a work in that person, and I can tell the story of how God continued to work in their life, but in that moment, we celebrate the final work of God in their life. Well, today, I, uh, I just try to picture them listening to this word. And by the way, they probably made a copy of it. They listened to it in the group, and they made a copy, and some of them read it personally, and maybe they took a copy, and they took it down to the believers down in Thessalonica, because that wasn't really all that far away, and maybe they took a copy down to Berea, to that church, and they began to spread that copy, and, and they began to make more copies, and eventually those copies that were read in that one church for the first time have now been read to us. And the God who was at work 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote these words is still at work today. And so right now, as a church, this is a good time to pray for God's work. It's a good time to be mindful about the partnership in the gospel and our personal sharing of the gospel and our being a part of it and our giving for the gospel and going for the gospel and praying about the gospel. But today, I I guess at the invitation time, what I really want to say is I hope you can go to that time where God began His work in you, where you know that there was a conviction of His Spirit and a drawing, and you responded, and, and you were saved in that moment, and that God is still at work, and you are being saved every moment, every day. God is still working, and that you have the confidence that when life in this world comes to an end, your salvation will be complete in the presence of God. And if you can't go to that time, if you're not sure, if you're still wondering or worrying or or trusting in all the good things that you've done or are doing, this is the reminder that says it's the work of God that you've got to trust in through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Him today, If he's not done this, if you can't nail this down and say this is when and how and where it happened, this is the day to let God start his work in you. If it was a good sermon, it had absolutely nothing to do about my shirt. 
maybe not really a whole lot to do with the illustrations or the, the oratory or whether I got all the words pronounced correctly. If it was a good sermon, it was because God was here in our presence yes. and because He was at work. If it's a good church, it's not because take up big offerings, not because you do a lot of good things. It's because God is in the midst of all of those things. There's something very good we always know about the gospel. And anytime you and I can partner with the gospel, we know that God is going to bless that. And so that's an important thing. But maybe the most significant good thing that ever happens is the good work that Jesus does in us when He saves us. And when He loves us enough to keep working in our lives until life in this world transforms to the next world when the ultimate good in the universe occurs and we enter His presence forever and ever. That's why the gospel is so important because for those of us who have found that good work, we want God to do that work in everybody else's life. Well, has it been a good day to be in the presence of God today? I hope it has for the right reasons. Because real good works are always God works. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done in this church, the work that you did in the, the church in Philippi. Lord, for the work that you're doing in other churches in this community and this state. Lord, for the fact that there are believers all around the world opening their hearts and minds to you and to your word. And Lord, we pray that you will be at work in all of those places. But especially here, Father, we covet your hand, your presence, and your work in our lives, in our families, and in our church. And Father, may we be certain to always give you the glory for all of those good things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibcbenton.com. Or give us a call at 618 439 3513.